Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cyclocross Social Podcast. Today I'm joined by Tuan and we're going to be discussing the first five stages of the Tour de France Femme and we're going to be recapping the rest of the Tour de France for men after the last time we spoke with you when Wout van Aert won the fourth stage in the yellow jersey. Tuan, thank you for being here. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. I've um, been enjoying a lot of the racing recently. Yeah, so have I, and I must say I've been in France, and it was a nice holiday there. It was nice to get in the real atmosphere of the Tour de France. It really lives among the French people. It was nice to watch the racing with some of these French people. And normally you always have this drain after the Tour, or the Tour de France for men is over, what's going to happen now, one week of waiting until San Sebastian. But for me, really, the Tour de France Femme in connection with the men's Tour, like the overlap of the last day, and then this very natural connection into a week of exciting racing, it's been super nice in my opinion. Yeah, it's just been really nice to tune in too. Like, uh, it's just very fun to watch women's racing. Uh, very much reminds me of uh, like watching some of the junior races, just constantly action um, and favorites going off the front, deciding races all by themselves. It's uh, yeah, it's really enjoyable to watch. I certainly would recommend it. Yeah, and it's of course good that the ASO has finally also seen the added value of the women's racing and decided to, under pressure of Zwift and also Christian Prudhomme, to actually organize this Tour de France for women. And the first day, well, on the Champs-Élysées, I kind of had the idea that there was not much attention, but that wasn't correct because the spectators were mainly hidden behind the trees for some reason. They weren't allowed to come close to the fences. I don't know the reason why, but there were plenty of people there apparently. So that was good to see. And the first stage ended in a mass sprint won by Lorena Vibes ahead of the cyclocross world champion, Marianne Voss. And the day after, we got the classic putsch in the second stage. A real coup there by Trek Segafredo, actually, after the intermediate sprint when it was Elisa Balsamo who continued pacing. And that led to a breakaway of six riders, and there were two cyclocross riders in there. Mariana Vos and Silvia Persico, very attentive and managing to get into the deciding break. Uh, they kept pulling out more and more time and would sprint it out for victory. Yeah, the finish was slightly uphill and from that group, which included Longo Borgini, Balsamo, who dropped in the final kilometer, Mike van der Duin, who was tired. So basically it was a sprint between the four, Longo Borgini, Foss, Persico and Nivia Doma. Foss, of course, the fastest of that group, quite comfortably won that sprint and took the yellow jersey by winning the stage ahead of Silvia Persico, the numbers one and three of the Cyclocross World Championships in Fayetteville, ending first and second in that stage. And... For me, it was just amazing to see Foss win there. I mean, she's been at the highest level of the sport for such a long time. She's been written off, including by myself, I must say, and and the advance of the previous cyclocross season. I had my doubts, but she managed to fire back there, and she's done it so many times already. And then she's able to win that stage, and she's one of the people who lobbied the hardest for Tour de France to happen. So in my opinion, it's more than deserved that she is she got her stage win there and that it's certainly good for women cycling to have one of the leading names of the sport win a stage there and wear the yellow jersey for already four days now yeah it has been amazing i think uh, marianne was of course putting herself there in an incredible situation where i think on that finish she was hard to beat anyway but she made sure that she got rid of her biggest opponent which would be lorena vibes um 
and managing to grab the jersey. Uh, it's really nice to see how seriously like this first like big addition again of the Tour de France fam is um, getting so much attention, getting taken so seriously by the riders as well. Um, where sometimes we see with new races that the first few editions are not that prestigious in the history, like for example Stradbianca, uh, this is going to be right up there, um, regardless of who wins. Yeah, and as I said, I thought the connection was super nice, because it feels like a standalone event, and not as a necessary, oh, well, we also need to do a women's race. I more get that feeling with, for instance, the Amstel Gold race, where the women start before the men, they finish well before the men, their route is kind of a rip-off of the men's, they don't get to do the proper things. I feel like Flanders Classics has done this super well with the classics like Gent-Wevelgem and Tour Flanders, where the women now finish after the men, because more people tune in for the men's race, that's unfortunately the reality, they tune in. But then once they see racing on their screen, they don't really care that it's women's racing. And then they're like, oh, this is actually pretty fun. There's more exciting racing. I'm going to stay watching. And now in this way, I feel like it's pretty well combined. Like it's connected. So the, the attention draws over to the Tour de France fam. But at the same time, it's like broadcasted at prime time. And the viewing figures in the Netherlands are actually pretty good. They're not worse than for the men's race. And I know in France, the numbers are a bit down, but still two and a half million people watching on average. I think for the first or second stage, I think it was second stage, two and a half million on average watching on France TV3 was pretty nice to see. So definitely good steps for the women's peloton. And of course, there's been some critique, but maybe you can say a bit more about that critique that there's been and if that is justified. I think the parkour is uh, it's quite good, I would say. Uh, it's been really nice to see what the women can work with in stage 2 and 3, for example. Um, not the biggest fan of the gravel stage, just don't love it all the time, especially like when... They weren't really willing to race over it too much, which it's okay, but it's always unfortunate to see. Um, but all in all, um, I'm looking forward to what's going to happen mostly on Saturday and Sunday, where I wouldn't be too surprised if they start r racing really early, especially on Saturday, and we're going to see an incredible GC overall. Yeah, so the critique was that there was a time trial missing and that the gravel stage was not supposed to be there, and... I think both are somewhat valid. I have no issue with gravel or cobbles in a Grand Tour or a stage race. But I think the gravel that they got on stage 4, which is yesterday once we are recording, it was too much. It was over a limit. It These sectors 3 and 4, these were more mountain bike sections. I think if you're racing on a road bike, it's even more comfortable to do these early season cyclocross races in Bredene or in... No, not in Beringe because those have massive rocks as well, but it was just too much. It's more something you could do on a mountain bike, and even then you could have a serious amount of punctures. So I would say that they would need to balance that a bit, and if you do gravel, okay, but do more Strade Bianchi gravel, which is better for tires. On the time trial, well, maybe that's missing, but I don't want to be too critical, because despite the ASO not being the savior of women's cycling, I think it's a good step. And we've seen quite entertaining racing. And I mean, after that stage that Foss won, Foss just kept continuing and pressing because she's never ended outside of the top five. Uh, 
she's ended second, first, second, fifth, and third. So, yeah, pretty impressive if you ask me, Tom. Yeah, it's been really impressive, and I think um, from the or organizer's point of view, it just makes a lot of sense to not have a time trial. Like, you're already a bit worried that Anomie Van Vleuten is going to absolutely dominate the whole race and make it quite boring. And having a TT would just play into her hands. And of course, not every year has to have a TT if you're going to have only eight stages. Yeah, I would hope for next year maybe that they include a prologue on the Saturday and expand towards nine stages. But it's not a deal breaker for me. If I focus purely on the racing, that second stage with that putch in the end was pretty nice because it was classified as a flat stage. The third stage was also very entertaining. It went towards a hilly finish in Epernay, region where Julien Alaphilippe actually won the tour stage in 2019 and took the yellow jersey. Exact same finish. And we went to an elite group towards the end with the GC riders and Foss. And then eventually on the finish, it was a steep ramp. Foss got outsprinted by Celice Utrecht Ludwig. I think, to be honest, on that finish, there's nothing Foss could have done differently. I think Utrecht Ludwig just timed it a bit better, but the speed with which he came indicated towards me that there was really no way Foss could have done anything anymore. Ludwig was just too strong on that finish. I don't know how you see that one. Yeah, I think that was mostly really impressive from Ludwig. And yeah, Foss just... Yeah, you just kind of look at it and I think you're happy with second place because that was some uh, really powerful stuff. Yeah, it secured her position in the yellow jersey because she was dropped earlier by Sylvia Persico. Persico, who is doing very well as well. We already mentioned that second place. She ended fourth in the third stage behind well, Ludwig and Voss and then Moulman ended third. Very good by Persico. We must say Persico was already doing very well at the Giro Don, which was ridden during the men's Tour de France. In that Giro Don, Persico managed to end 7th in the general classification, caught a couple of stage top 10s, even, I think, a top 5. She's been doing pretty good, but did you expect her to be able to carry over that form into the Tour de France femme? Because I have to say, despite knowing her talent, in our preseason road podcast, we already said, watch out for Persico this season. But this is above my expectations, personally. She keeps surprising me as well. I keep thinking, like, this is going to be the end of, uh, well, Servia Persico, or at least, uh, for example, my Velo Games, even though she was, like, only eight points, which is really cheap on that. Uh, I didn't pick her because I didn't think, like, she could have another great stage race after she did really well in the Giro Don as well um, and she's at it again she is uh, in the top 5 in GC with a nice advantage toward like the rest of some of the favorites already like she's already looking on for another top 10 again and I'm not going to be too surprised if she manages to at least uh, stick it out there uh, I expect her to drop like outside the top five probably, but yeah, she has been surprising me a lot this season and she's continuing to do that at the Tour de France fan. Yeah, I think a top 10 in GC is definitely possible. I can only agree with you because in the mountain stages in the Giro Don, she managed to stick her nose in the top 10 all the time. Only really lost a lot of time in a hilly stage on which Garcia 
Cavalli and Van Vleuten absolutely destroyed the rest. Put them all five minutes on something that everybody thought, oh well, this stage isn't going to be too difficult. It's hot, everybody wants a relaxed day. Well, that turned on differently, but definitely impressed by Persico, who managed to claim two more seventh places yesterday in the gravel stage. I don't think we can really say too much about it, because in terms of Foss and Persico, well, Persico tried one time, but it was obvious that she wasn't going to be dropping Foss, and then today, seventh in a mass sprint, definitely continuing this consistent streak. She's also very all-round because she can do basically everything. 7th in the mass sprint, 7th in the gravel stage, as said 10th in the mountain stages in the Giro Dome. She's rumored to be moving to UAE next year together with two other riders of Falkar and one of the staff members. What do you think about the potential of this move? I'm very excited for it. Uh, already, like Falkar, it's, it's a very good team, I think, to develop at, but... Um, she certainly is ready to take that next step and I hope she's going to get plenty of opportunities uh, and um, at UAE I think it's a very good one with not too many big riders there already. And what do you think this means for her potential to do cyclocross because she was third at the world championships this year? It, it worries me a little bit. Uh, I think she has clearly seen that she is very good on the road. So now it's just from a personal place. Do I still really want to do it? Do I still feel like I have something left to give in cyclocross? Uh, hopefully UE will give her the opportunities to do it if she wants to. And hopefully we will keep seeing her in the uh, field. Yeah, UE does ride on Colnago bikes. They're not that big anymore in cross. A couple of seasons ago, there were some teams racing on them. I think the Sauze team, but don't correct me on that one. Anyway, I think that, indeed, as you said, it's going to be about personal preference. Does she want to ride cross? I think she does. I don't have the best connections with her, but I've spoken to her a couple of times. She does give me the impression to be very passionate about cross. It is her passion, so... I don't think she will immediately abandon the cross and in women's cycling it seems a bit more common to combine multiple disciplines anyway so it wouldn't surprise me if we see her on a cross bike and of course it's still only rumors so maybe after this Tour de France there's another team knocking on the door with a bag of money which is bigger or with better support so we don't know but I think for a personal level for her, it's good to move to a World Tour team, probably with better staff, better potential. And indeed, as you said, UE doesn't have very big names. She would probably be one of the best riders of that team because Bastianelli is retiring. She would probably be the fastest sprinter, arguably the second best or even best climber, depending on Micah Bogart. But Bogart has this tendency to struggle a bit when it's about GC. So... I think it's a good fit, but I would hope she moves elsewhere, not for the least because the ethics of the sponsor of UE, but that's all different discussion. There's been more cross riders racing here in the Tour de France Femme. Shirin van Androoy looks to be one of the contenders for the white jersey, which is for under 23 riders in the Tour de France Femme. So far, she's lost a bit of time. She's mainly been on domesticing duties for Elisa Longo-Borgini, but once we come in the mountains, it should be better for her. And then, finally, Julie de Wilde, racing for Planetur Pura, also a cyclocross rider. What do you think of her performance in this Tour de France Fama avec Swift one? 
Uh, I thought uh, in the second stage he had a really good sprint. Uh, of course, it was for the sixth place because that group in front was gone. But it was good to see her up there and to challenge. Uh, well, she wasn't really challenging Lorena Wiebes all too much. But uh, certainly beating Barbieri and Gopecki is it's encouraging. Yeah, I think it's good. We shouldn't forget that she had a pretty bad injury in Paris-Roubaix. She, I think, broke two bones in her back, which was not great, obviously. <laughs> but uh, bouncing back already with decent performances at the Belgian Championships and our top 10 here, it's pretty good. I think in today's mass sprint, and I think which we also saw on the Champs-Élysées, is a bit of a positioning issue. They're using Sonne Kant as her lead-out. Kant is doing a pretty good job in that, but at least from what I've seen, De Wilde still struggles to hold on to her wheel, and that's not strange. I mean, De Wilde, she's still 19 years old, which is super young. She turns 20 in December, so there's still time to learn, and it's definitely encouraging for Belgium that they seem to have a big talent on the road, because De Wilde signed for Ico Krelan a couple of seasons ago, and I was kind of surprised by that because she's always been more of a road talent in my opinion, especially when she ended second in the World Championships in Yorkshire. So that was juniors, by the way. So I definitely think it's very good what she's shown. And tomorrow, stage six should kind of be her last opportunity to really do something because the mountains, they will be too tough for her. Well, then let's still recap a bit of the Tour de France for men. The last time we recorded a podcast is almost on and we talked about the first four stages, mainly about Wout van Aert. Back then we already said that Van der Poel was struggling bad, that only continued. He was forced to retire, nothing really to be reported there. He said something went wrong in his altitude camp, probably burnt himself out and that that influenced his Tour de France. He's now doing post-tour crits and is targeting the Road World Championships. Leaves us with two big cyclocross stars racing there. One of them, Wout van Aert. Tuan, where do we start with Wout van Aert? Ever since stage four, because he has lit the race on fire. Um, of course, we have to talk about the stage victory in uh, Lausanne, uh, managing to outsprint Michael Matthews and Tadej Pogacar. Yeah, but is that really where we start? Because in stage five, he arguably saves the Tour de France of Vingegaard. First, he crashes, then he almost runs into the team car of DSM, then he's kind of scared and sits at the back of the pack, then shit goes down in the Jumbo team, bike change goes horribly wrong for Fingergaard, he's one minute down, at some point they almost look at a deficit of one minute and 30 seconds, and then Van Aert drops back to the Fingergaard group and just starts storming in the yellow jersey, and then eventually, even at some point it looked like Pogacar was going to take over a minute, but Van Aert completely turned around that situation, and that... Well, in the end, the gap of the Tour de France win for Vingegaard was something like 2 minutes 40 or something, or even 3 minutes. But that could have dramatically changed the dynamics. Day after that, he goes into a solo attack. He's been attacking almost every day and been decisive almost every day. Yeah, he's had a lot of big days in the Tour de France. Uh, yeah, indeed. Probably it should have been the 5th stage instead of the 8th stage. That's... Uh, should have been mentioned. Yeah, but it's not because the 8th stage isn't impressive, but for me... Yeah. For me, it feels like this 8th stage, oh, well, he wins an uphill sprint. It's not that <laughs> special. And that is true, that is true. Saving the Tour de France for Jonas Vingegaard, it's uh, 
it's a much bigger it's just something it's not necessarily a much bigger com uh, accomplishment but it has much more importance in the whole story of the Tour de France whereas stage 8 when you're writing it out you're writing down Wout van Aert wins yeah, and it's not because it's not impressive that he wins it's just you expect he it he's just so that strong good. he's just there's just no opposition for him because like if Prime van der Poel would be here in his peak form he could challenge but for the rest it's just like okay arguably Alaphilippe uh, he isn't there because he was injured but mm -hmm. Like, it's not because it's not impressive, it's just like, he's done so much, and then, oh yeah, he wins this uphill sprint. Well, that was kind of expected. <laughs> yes. It was only 300 meters show of display, and it was still impressive, because he was boxed in and needed to slalom towards victory. But all these mm -hmm. other days, those were, like, especially the, the cobble stage, you were like, hmm, what's going on? And then he turns around this lost situation. The day after that, he's constantly attacking in the beginning of the stage, and then he pulls out a solo, which wasn't the smartest in my opinion i have my questions probably about him yellow yeah but on the other hand it was probably also only for one day but so much has been done by him because he wins two stages basically secures the green jersey in that first week and then after that he goes on great domesticing duties in my opinion he's in the break almost every day playing a satellite rider role on the galibier he's i think the third to come over the top and then he waits and his first carrying Vingegaard, then he drops further back, brings back Roglic, does a bit of a pull, then sits up and rests. But I don't think he had a single bad day this Tour de France. You could argue that maybe 19th stage or 21st stage, but indeed the stages that it mattered, Wout van Aert was there. He was an absolute like rock for Vingegaard, just extremely dependable just there whenever you wanted him um rode him into the finish safely in this stage they went to foie uh, just made sure nothing was going on there on the hotagam he pulls him clear of pogacar <laughs> crazy yeah very very crazy especially that pull on the hotagam that's one of the most insane things i have ever seen and i mean i'm not in cycling the longest you know i've been consistently watching since 2011 I've done a bit of research on the older stuff in the zeros, 90s, but it's not the same. Ever since I started watching in 2010, 2011, what I saw there on the Hauta Comet was really something else. It, I'd never expected something like that of Wout van Aert. And, I mean, it immediately sparked a debate in Belgium. Should van Aert become a GC rider? <laughs> I'll let you have your say on that first. I don't think it's possible, uh, just in a general theme of things. Uh, I do think if he really had wanted to this Tour de France, he could have taken the KOM jersey without exerting too much extra effort, which is quite insane to say. Um, but yeah, all in all, he's an incredible rider, and I think he can keep on doing this for another five, six years. And that's a scary thing to say. It is scary, and I indeed agree with you. I don't think it's possible for him to go for GC. He is 76 kilograms, has 6% body fat. There's no way he's going to drop any body fat to reduce weight. All he can do is drop muscle, and that will obviously affect his power output. So it won't increase his watt per kilogram, which is needed for the mountainous terrain. And then you can still say, yes, but he dropped Pogacar. 
correct, but that Hautakam performance was not representative for his climbing performance throughout the entire Tour de France. He's taken a couple of rest days, he's done some pulls and dropped back a couple of other times and really rest rested for the last one or two climbs of the stage. So, despite it being very impressive, Hout van Aert for GC, I don't think it's going to happen unless the ASO somehow puts together a Tour de France course with a lot of time trials, because we'll come to the time trial a bit later, not many submit finishes, and also a first week in which Van Aert can do crazy things like he did in stage 4, get the cobble stage, which he can take a lot of time. Only then I can see Van Aert potentially challenge for a GC podium. Top 10 if he wants, that's a different story, but I don't see why you would risk everything for a GC top 10 when you can be one of the best riders in the world at almost everything. Yeah, I think even a top 5 maybe is possible, but if we look at the TT that he won in Rocamadour, like, Drain Thomas is the furthest away from the podium, like, uh, from the free podium riders, and he only loses 32 seconds, and this is already on a TT of 40 kilometers. Like, even if we put in a lot of time trial kilometers, he loses that so quickly on, on just one of the mountain finishes where it doesn't quite pan out, because the Hutakam day is a true exception in cycling. Like, if you look at just the whole day of what he did there, it's absolutely insane. You just can't be doing that every day. Uh, that was ridiculous. Pulling, like, in the beginning of the stage, trying to get in the break, doing a bit of work on the Albisk, then pulling up the Sprandel, and then pulling almost the entire Hautakam. Like, I was really left for words when I was watching that. And, yeah, I agree. The climbers he's facing are too good of a T-tiers to really lose too much time. There's no Quintana type who is the best climber that you can say, well, you take four minutes in the time trial, one minute per 10 kilometers, 10 seconds or six seconds per kilometer. That's not happening those days that the best GC riders couldn't time trial like Delgado. Those days are gone, at least for now. So, yeah, it will probably be tough, but we also shouldn't spend too much time on it because he's been doing very well in the other stages. He... Um, things still managed the second in Carcassonne in a reduced sprint really won the green jersey with ease I think he let go in the last stage on the Champs-Élysées because he said he had a bit of decompression and his tour was already complete I think that also played a role you know because in stage 19 he even said that he was going to let his teammate Christophe Laporte have a shot at the win because of all the lead out work he'd done so this is really a sign of not only a good rider, in my opinion, also a good people's manager, because he can keep his teammates satisfied like this. Laporte has now gotten his first World Tour win thanks to Van Aert in Paris-Nice. He's gotten his first Tour de France stage win this year thanks to a bit of help of Van Aert and Van Aert saying, you go for it. And this is really a way that you can keep a very great connection with your one of your most important domestiques, and that will only strengthen their partnership in races as well. Yeah, and it just shows one of the most dominant teams we have ever seen in the Tour de France. Yeah, also, of course, Laporte was strong and that plays a role, but in my opinion, it's a great gesture by Van Aert to say, okay, Laporte, Christophe, you can go for the win. 
and the day after in the time trial, Van Aert admitted that Vingegaard almost did the same. Vingegaard, once he knew that the tour win was in the back, nothing going to happen against Pogacar, Vingegaard took it easy on the final climb in order to give Van Aert the stage win as a thank you to all the hard work that Van Aert had done for Vingegaard. So I also think that shows something about Vingegaard. We know he's a humble guy, but it also shows more of this real team spirit inside Jumbo Visma and yeah. this great people's management. I, we got what I wanted on the Hotakam. We got me the stage victory in the yellow jersey and I'm do the favor as well on the team and the time trial of not pushing all the way to the end and make it uh, incredibly exciting. Yeah, I think it, as I said, was very nice to see and Von Aert can look back on a very successful tour. He was for a minute down to race San Sebastian, but he said that he wasn't going to start because of a cold. I think it was more of a tiredness because I've seen him at the post-tour crit. The first, there was one on Monday in Aals, which he skipped. Then I saw him in the post-tour crit in Rousselare on Tuesday. He got flown in by hel- helicopter, actually, from the Jumbo-Visma service course. He looked jackhammered, man. He was so tired. And today he was racing in his own village in Herentals. He won there in front of 40,000 people, at least. He's probably just tired, in my opinion, and going to take a rest towards the World Championships. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, of course, he really wants to add that world title, maybe start building fitness toward uh, Lombardia as well, because after seeing that Hotakam performance, no one's going to tell me that he can't win that. Uh, so that will be it will be an interesting uh, end of the season for Wout van Aert. Yeah, I hope to see him in prime form against Macho van der Poel at the World Championships. Hopefully a proper battle, not like we had last year at the Worlds. Will be amazing to see. Somebody who's also eyeing those World Championships is Tom Pitcock. But he's going for the Triple Crown. He's going to do the Mountain Bike World Championships first. But also he had a very successful tour because he was doing well in GC. But after he had a bit of a tough day on the Galibier and Granon, he... Well... Bounced back the day after. He went in the break with a very fabulous downhill attack. That was something else as well. That whew, that was also amazing to watch. His downhill of the Galibier. That was really nice. Of course, you've seen plenty of the descending skills of uh, Pitcock already. But uh, it's always nice to see it on such alpine climbs. It's really calming in a way. I can tell you, if you're downhilling there, it's not that calming. Probably, no, it's not even your heart is pounding like crazy, but it gives you this mega adrenaline rush. And for Pitcock, apparently that rush carried on towards the rest of the stage because over the Croix de Fer, he looked to be the strongest. And then on the Alpe d'Huez, he dropped the rest of his breakaway opposition and claimed victory up on Alpe d'Huez. Really fantastic to see, in my opinion. Yeah, it was really impressive. I mean, we knew Petcock could climb, like he won the baby Giro, um, but we really had yet to see it properly in World Tour level. And to see it like that, to see him stay in JC for so long, and to see him climbing that well, it was really nice to see, and hopefully we get more of that in the future. I think it's definitely possible. In the rest of the tour, he was a bit anonymous, dropped out of the top 10 of GC in the Pyrenees. No shame in that. I mean, it's his first Grand Tour that he contests at a proper level. Last year in the Vuelta, he was invisible, only using it as a training race for the uh, World Championships. Even 
saw on his Strava that he did interval trainings during climbs there, which is something I've never seen before. So it's no shame, he can still learn. I think there's definitely top 10 potential in him, as we've already seen now. And it's second in the white jersey classification. Once Pogacar moves out there after next year, I definitely think he is the next in line to challenge for that jersey. Of course, other talents coming through as well, but it was pretty amazing to see. Well, then I think we've covered the men's Tour de France. Bit of a short recap of our thoughts on that and the beginning of the women's Tour de France. Tuan, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on. There's still some racing coming up. Of course, the Tour de France fam continues, but we're going to be taking another holiday for a while. So it will be, I think, a couple of weeks before we're back, but there's not that much happening. We'll probably be back around some of the mountain bike world cups mountain bike world championships so see you guys then goodbye